welcome back to the Brodacious Book Club, the podcast where we host a book club where I haven't read the book. I'm Erin Rockford. And I'm Matthew Thomas. And today we're joined by an extra bro, Ottawa author Brandon Crilly. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Erin. Hi, Matt. How's it going? <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thanks for agreeing to join us. No worries. And uh, how much of Wanderers have you read, Brandon? <laughs> Um, if we're being honest, not all of it. I, I made it to about page 274. We've got a bit of a Goldilocks situation <laughs> happening here. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> if you missed it, this week we're reading Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, an apocalyptic book based around disease-based apocalypse. Topical. Topical. Not as topical when I originally picked it as it is right now. <laughs> There you go. Life's um, little curveballs. Yeah. Right? This was a really hard book to summarize. I was realizing <laughs> as I was... I don't know how you're going to summarize the first 200 pages, let, like, let yeah, alone the whole book. Yeah, I, I also don't know. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I just want to put a, a bit of a content warning that if you are highly anxious about the current state of pandemic, maybe skip this episode. Maybe it's not the best time for that. Might not be for you. Yeah, there's also lots of politics and sexual violence and regular violence and if any of those things are not things you want to engage with we're probably not going to go super in depth with them here but it might be something to keep in mind if you are going to read the book at any point. As usual, we will be summarizing the book uh, with some help from Brandon where appropriate, and afterwards we will have a bit of a discussion about it. As always, we mean no disrespect to the books or the authors discussed. We're just trying to have some fun with it. We always encourage reading the books for yourselves. That's right. And as always, of course, we are summarizing books here. We're going to be going in depth. So spoiler warning. So the book ends up opening with a Japanese woman who discovers a comet and she suddenly begins to believe that the world is overpopulated and then dies later when the comet passes overhead, which is a very mysterious opening for this book. I was going to say, what a, yeah, what, what a yeah. setting, you know, what, yeah. a, what, a, what an opening situation. <laughs> we switch then to what I think is the day after the comet has passed over in the US now, which I, I have to say I'm not that upset about moving away from some of the fantasy names that we have been encountering for the past <laughs> few episodes. Most of these names I knew how to pronounce the first time, which is nice. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that because the other day I was off and I was thinking about how effortlessly <laughs> you were able to pronounce a lot of the character names and I was admiring you for that. So I, I do usually cheat beforehand and I look up pronunciation guides if, if they are available. I'm not too upset to be with actual people names for the most part for this book. Fantasy characters are actual people. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> So we meet kind of, I guess, the main character for the book, or at least one of the main characters, uh, Shauna, who's a teenager. She's 17, I think, at the beginning of the book. And she wakes up to find that her younger sister, Nessie, has been sleepwalking away from the home. She follows her out and can't seem to wake Nessie up, no matter what she does. And when she and then her dad start trying to restrain Nessie, she starts convulsing and her nose starts bleeding, so they stop trying to do that. And as they watch, she's walking with a determined route, and other people start joining Nessie, who are also in a similar state of sleepwalking, all headed in the same direction. One of them is Shauna's teacher, and just sort of random-seeming people from the community that she lives in. And we then switch and we meet Benji, who's probably the other most important character in the novel. Um, yeah, I would say so. 
Yeah, yeah, he's has a big role to play. And what is that role? He's a doctor, and he's a former CDC employee. Right. We later learn that he was fired from the CDC for fudging some numbers where he encountered a disease spread, but people didn't believe that the disease was spreading, so he made up some numbers to get a better response. Right. Brandon's nodding. Did you yeah. get that far in the book? <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it starts, yeah, it starts off. You know that he got fired for some reason. Yeah. And then, uh, and slowly, you get little mm-hmm. bits and pieces as to why yeah. he's been discovered. Like, you meet his boss, and his boss hates him and wants him nowhere near anything. Yeah. And, and then gradually you realize that he thought he was. Well, he doesn't even think he did the right thing anymore. He's, yeah. He starts to question. It's it, yeah, because it obviously created some issues with actually trying to deal with the disease after it got out that he made up the numbers to do with it. And he gets contacted by this woman called Sadie. She's a programmer, and they've both seen the news about this weird sleepwalking outbreak, and she wants his help with it. She created this AI that's called Black Swan, and apparently that's what requested his help specifically on this whatever this weird sleepwalking disease is. Those are sort of our main two characters, Mm -hmm. Shauna and Benji, and the beginnings of, like I said, this weird sleepwalking thing. We cut back to Shauna and how people are starting to respond to the sleepwalkers, like there's paramedics and cops and trying to stop people from doing this. They try to sedate the sleepwalkers, but the needles can't penetrate their skin. Mm. A cop also fails to taser the one guy who's Shauna's teacher, and when that doesn't work, the cop tries to arrest him, and as soon as he starts restraining him, the teacher starts to convulse and ends up violently exploding. Ah, wow, that escalated very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so, go from vague supernatural phenomenon to exploding yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, and of course that makes the news. Right, There's also, <laughs> as it would, yeah. as it does, right? <laughs> yeah, there's also, and this is sort of throughout the whole novel, there's these little interspersed pieces of like social media news or like headlines and stuff where it's showing kind of in real time like how people are responding to this Mm. and of course in this case it's like oh is it terrorists is it crisis actors what's happening (laughs) um which feels a little bit too real at times Mm. but and and we find out too i think very early that there's a presidential election coming up it's a presidential election yes yeah really it's it's, oh yeah it is phenomenally real world which i think is part of the reason why i only made it so far yeah <laughs> but fair enough enough trauma <laughs> yeah. to deal with in your real life and specifically yeah. the presidential election is between a lady president who is yeah i don't know if she is ever directly identified as a democrat but like it seems pretty clear yeah i don't think that's a a leap to make that no. she's yeah. of that particular american party Indeed. <laughs> and she's being challenged by this guy who's a loud-mouthed populist right yep Pretty much. So, it is kind of like, like, can we mention the names of actual political leaders? Will you get into trouble if I do that? I don't think so. I don't think enough people listen to this podcast that we will get yeah, in trouble. Like, like, to me, it's, it's, that's fair. <laughs> it's like, it's, but no, I, it was very much like if Hillary Clinton was the incumbent and Trump decided to challenge her instead of exactly. Obama's record. That's kind of what I did. That's, yeah, it, it is very much that world. And I mean, I think those implications are very intentional because Chuck Wendig is oh, yeah. a pretty outspoken Trump and traitor. Yeah. Sure. Uh, 
I don't think that's coming out of left field at all. You know, actually, when was this book written? Do you know off the That's what I was just looking up. Yeah. It got published in 2019. So I don't know when he wrote it. 2019. It came, yeah, it's, 2019 it came out last year. So it's um, fresh, I see. Yeah, yeah, but it could have been written during the 2016 presidential election. Quite easily. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but even if not, like, I feel like we're still feeling the effects of that pretty strongly indeed, in our indeed. cultural consciousness. Even for those of us, you know, who are... Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. being all three people on this podcast. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so Benji ends up getting involved with like the CDC people who are going in to investigate this sleepwalking disease. He goes to meet the teacher who exploded. He goes to meet his wife. And it turns out that the hospital lost the bodies of both, lost the bodies, air quotes, because this is an audio medium, um, <laughs> of both the teacher who died and also the cop who was also in the police car when he exploded. Yeah, because he dies for some reason, I, which I never found out why. I kind of understood it to be like a side effect of explosion. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was my understanding. I don't know if that's necessarily supported by the text, but... <laughs> We do find out later that the bodies were taken from the hospital by someone. And people find out that Benji is working with the CDC, which creates some issues because he's not very popular because of the whole lying about disease thing that happened earlier. So the CDC people do take over studying the sleepwalkers. Shauna connects with a young man who works for the CDC named Arav, and her dad shows up in an RV. They have some issues between them, like he wants her to keep going to school or whatever, but she wants to stay with Nessie, and he ends up kind of supporting her and and buying this RV so they can follow Nessie across wherever it is that she ends up going. Then we get this interlude with this guy named Jerry Garland, who is the theme park owner. Right. Jerry Garland is the son of a theme park mogul sure. and is trying to expand his brand. But as he's breaking new ground on a theme park, he gets attacked by bats that come surging out. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's just let that simmer for a moment. Attacked by bats. That's and the, uh, all right. Sure. See, the expression on your face right now, I'm sure was on my face as I was going through yeah. this book. Because yeah. <laughs> it comes completely out of nowhere, too. Like, it's oh, just oh, like yeah. suddenly we're in this interlude with this dude who's not a very nice guy. <laughs> nope. And is, like, abusing the people around him, basically. He starts to get sick after this event, and he was also humiliated, so he's trying to make up for that. And as he gets sicker, he gets more and more mean to the people around him and less able to do his job. So he eventually gets fired by the board or whoever it is who runs these kinds of corporations. (laughs) And then we kind of cut forward to several months later where he is in the Everglades for some reason. As you do. (laughs) And he falls into a coma and dies we get a very foreshadowy piece of information that nobody would find him until it was too late wow yeah what an interlude interlude. it's like a pretty significant piece of writing too like i I skimmed it pretty heavily i'm not gonna lie and like you get all these characters like there's a bunch of people introduced in it that don't matter at all because they'd never come up again but anyway then we meet matthew who is not that much like you oh yeah sure (laughs) Matthew is a pastor, right? Who's not the greatest dude, but like kind of chill. Oh, like, geez, what does he, that mean? <laughs> like, it's <laughs> not a stellar combination. <laughs> he thinks his depressed wife should maybe just try harder to not be depressed. But right. when she's like, "No, I do actually need antidepressants," he does eventually relent. So, kind of not a great guy. Yeah, but not as much of a jerk as you could be, I guess. Not actively bad, <laughs> yeah. but not good. Not great. Fair at this point, at least. Sure. So he also meets this guy named Ozark who's 
real sketchy. With a name like Ozark. (laughs) Ozark thinks that something's up with these sleepwalkers on TV, and also maybe something satanic is up, specifically, which is your first red flag that something is not right with Ozark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The reason that they kind of know each other is that Matthew's son works for Ozark. So Shauna continues to go with, it it begins to be called the flock, like the group of sleepwalkers, and then also Mm. the people who are their loved ones who are traveling with them who become known as the shepherds. Mm. And she gets to know some of the other shepherds, like some of them are from their community, but as they continue to walk, more and more people join the flock. At one point, there's an incident where there's a big storm brewing, and the CDC tries to get them to change course because they're just kind of sleepwalking directly into the storm. So they park a trailer in their way to try and force a turning, but the the sleepwalkers just Spider-Man crawl over the trailer, and it's terrifying. That sounds terrifying. So, of course, people watching this on TV, because there's news helicopters and whatnot, are like, what's happening with these people? Matthew, the next day, gives a sermon where he starts to really talk about the walkers and starts to narrow in on some of that satanic underlying themes. Yeah. Sure. He starts calling them the devil's pilgrims. I think we've reached the point, because I don't remember that, so I think we may have reached the point, at least in his arc, where... (laughs) um, Where you did not get any further? I don't think so. And there's this thing of like, oh, the words are kind of uncharacteristic of him, they maybe came from somewhere else, but Ozark is super into the sermon. He's Hmm. like, yeah, you did a great (laughs) job, Yeah, I better believe he is. So as the walkers start to come through this one town, they're met with protesters because there's starting to be quite a movement against them. Mm. But we also meet this character named Marcy, who's an ex-cop who has a brain injury. She's not doing well generally. Like, it causes her a lot of pain. It really makes it so she can't function super well. But as soon as she gets into close proximity with the walkers as they're coming through her town, she feels a lot better. And when she looks at them, she can see a glow. So when the walkers are coming through and she starts to pick up on the fact that the protesters that they're going to start something she manages to stop there being any violence Mm. somebody tries to fire on them and she's able to stop it before anyone can actually get hurt and at that point she starts to travel with the walkers as well she joins them because like i said she feels a lot better when she's in their presence right so shauna also finds out that before all of this started to happen her sister Nessie was emailing back and forth with their mother, who left a few years ago, and that her mom sent Nessie a mysterious package right before the sleepwalking started that had a test tube in it. Suspicious, <laughs> yes. A little suspect. Yeah, and she starts to feel a little bit betrayed because, like, she didn't get a mysterious package from their mom. <laughs> mm. She and Arav, the, like, young CDC worker, also start to have a little bit of a romance, develop slowly as the book goes on. Benji, also, as he's sort of looking and trying to figure out what the heck this is, trying to find, like, common links, because, like I said, it's people joining from, like, every place they pass through, but the only thing he finds is that the walkers are very healthy and they're very intelligent, Hmm. generally speaking. And there's also no very young children or very elderly people. He and Sadie, who's the woman who made Black Swan... um, and the programmer, they also become a couple. And at this point, we finally get some payoff on the Jerry Garland storyline because finally his body is found in the Everglades. It's covered in fungus. Mm. The CDC takes it in and starts to try and figure out what happened to him. I just have in my notes here, Matthew starts a podcast. <laughs> which is uh, kind there of you funny. go. Yeah. A little um, meta. 
Yeah, yeah, a little bit meta. There's also this thing where he's like kind of losing time and awareness as he's doing this, like giving sermons over this podcast and talking about the sleepwalkers. Right. And he he goes to Ozark's for a pig roast and he finds that Ozark has this big fancy house and all these questionable friends and they do some shooting. Mm. <laughs> and Matthew's kind of uncomfortable with this, but he's like, eh, it's fine, I guess, even when... <laughs> Even when one of the things that Ozark has is like target practice is like a cutout of the lady president. Right. No red flags there. <laughs> no red flags. It's fine. Homeland Security also starts to try and take over the care of the flock, partially because of the ongoing election tension that's going on. The, like I said, I don't know that he's identified as a Republican, but the like Republican challenger mm. <laughs> um, is putting some pressure on the president to do something. She calls Homeland Security, which is obviously not ideal. We also start to find out a little bit more about what's happening. We find out that the sleepwalkers are infected with nanotech, or at least Benji suspects that that's what's happening based on like the data he's been given. There's a lot more. There's a lot more scientific info in the book, but like I'm not going to relay that because right. it's not very interesting. Right. <laughs> um, what a twist! Yeah. Okay. They also find out that whatever fungus uh, Jerry Garland was covered in was what killed him, and that he had some sort of really rare disease that's similar to white nose syndrome in bats. And also remember he was attacked by bats. Indeed. So as Homeland Security is descending and Benji is like finding out all this stuff, there's a a new character kind of rolls into where the flock are all chugging along. His name is Pete Corley. He's this aging washed up rock star. Right. And yes, we are still meeting new characters. I was going to say, we're we're fairly, are we at least halfway? Yeah, we're at least 300 pages into this book by now, of course. To, we are for sure. Yeah, because Brandon has not read this, so we're chugging along at a good part. pace. We get a little bit of backstory, because the book likes to do a thing where they will introduce a character and then drop them for a couple chapters and then bring them back in, mm. which is fine, except that it makes it hard to summarize it, because you get a chapter of introduction and then you get nothing for a couple <laughs> more chapters. But Pete Corley is washed-up rock star, and he's gay but closeted, and so his bandmates are sort of threatening him with outing if he doesn't like walk the line, and if he doesn't show up for rehearsals and stuff on time right and he basically shows up to get some publicity because obviously there's a lot of news crews there benji is like sure you can stay as long as you advocate for the flock advocate for the cdc to stay and we'll let you get as much publicity out of this as you want to and he agrees and he joins in with the shepherds who are trying to ward off homeland security because that will obviously be a much more militarized version of what they're currently experiencing and (laughs) homeland security does take Pete Corley down like they beat him up as they're kind of advancing in on the flock but Shauna manages to get footage of it on her phone Mm. which she then gives to the press and that blows up and eventually there's enough public backlash that the president orders Homeland Security to back off right Uh, so then the CDC is just in charge Mm. we also learn at this point that Marcy the ex-cop with the brain injury that she can kind of communicate with the sleepwalkers Um, she can at least hear something from them sometimes Something is in voices or is in frequency? Yeah, as, in, as in voices. Like okay. she can sometimes hear thoughts or like pieces of thoughts. Right. 
So Pete Corley blends in with the rest of the the shepherds and Shauna argues with her dad who has just kind of been cooped up in the RV and hasn't actually been out to see Nessie. Mm. And eventually she and Arav, uh, the young CDC guy, they sleep together. I think like on her 18th birthday or something because he's in his 20s. So he's kind of weirded out by the fact that she's still technically a high schooler. Right. (laughs) As you would be. Yeah, as as you would be in that situation. It jumps. We jump back to Matthew, who finds out that Ozark gave his wife, whose name is Autumn, uh, some Xanax, and neither of them really trust Ozark. But at this point, right? Why <laughs> would you? And like his podcast is doing really well. He's networking really well, so he's kind of like, eh, this is you know, we can put up with this kind of weird guy for this. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, eh, but anyway. And then we cut to a bit of a flashback with Shauna and Nessie's mom, who was feeling very suicidal before she uh, left them. And she called, like, a suicide hotline, and it was some weird, like, screening where they asked her if she wanted to sign up for an experimental treatment, which she agrees to, and then they, like, come and take her away. Okay. Uh, (laughs) What? I'm sorry? Yeah. I beg your pardon? So, and how do we, how are they marketing the suicide hotline? That's uh, was, nefarious. Yeah, it's something like she calls the hotline and says, you know, that she's feeling really down. I think she gets like switched lines or something where it's like this is obviously something that they're using to find people mm. for this experimental wow. treatment. I see. Air quotes. There's also some stuff happening in the background where Benji begins to suspect that something bigger is happening. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And Black Swan, the AI, directly kind of implies it to him. He confronts Sadie about it. And she confesses to him that Black Swan actually sent itself a message from the future that the disease they found in Jerry Garland is going to create a mass extinction event. And therefore, Black Swan has sent out this nanotech into certain people to try and create some people who will survive the apocalypse because somehow it keeps them from contracting the illness. Wow, that's a huge... All yeah. right, that's a big reveal. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I'm yeah, assuming you didn't get that far. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which does put it more squarely in the realm of like, oh, this is definitely science fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a wild reveal that just happens. Wow. At what point does this happen? This is... We're probably getting on close to 50% of the way through the book now. We're only 50% of the oh, way yeah, through the... Oh, is, my goodness. This is like an 800-page book. This is a real big one. They all seem to be. All this of the <laughs> books that you pick, Erin. <laughs> it also reveals that Shauna and Nessie's mom was involved in, like, the group Black Swan originally formed to try and send out this nanotech, which is right. why Nessie was one of the people chosen for it. And they end up calling it the White Mask. Excellent name. Very cool. Yeah. Very awesome. Meanwhile, Matthew is going on all these conservative radio shows and stuff and people are like so the president's probably the antichrist right and he's like yeah this is fine yeah yeah of course oh geez matthew matthew poor misguided sweet matthew poor poor matthew matthew goes on a on a bad turn right Wow. Yeah, things go weird. Real fast. Um, you know, I was trying to pin down what like what genre this... Because yeah. I, I was thinking that as well as you were reading. I was like, this, this doesn't seem very science fiction-y. Yeah. But with the introduction of time travel and, yeah. and yeah. AI... The nanotech and all that. Yeah. He also does attend a rally, Matthew does, but he feels bad about doing it and like starts to feel guilty about the company that he is keeping. Um, which, like, it only took you so <laughs> long to figure mm. that out. It's only been like you know a few weeks a, a month or so i don't Half remember 
his wife Autumn overdoses on, on the antidepressants. I think accidentally, but it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous. And he goes to confront Ozark, who gave her the pills. And they finally have it out, and there's finally the revelation that is not really a revelation to anyone who has been paying attention that Ozark is not a good guy and mm. involved in like an explicitly white supremacist militia. Ah, wow, okay. Um, what You know, I knew yeah. he wasn't a good guy. I wasn't expecting the white supremacy route, yeah. but you know, fair enough. All yeah. the telltale signs are there. They were all in place. Yeah. Ozark beats him up and takes him captive, basically. Mm. He still wants him as like a as a speaker, I guess, for the movement. He's useful, right? So. Yeah, he's, he's a useful voice. And we see society getting worse in sort of flashes. Shauna is like taking pictures of various things and we get to see society breaking down as the fungus, the white mask, the disease starts to spread and also just politically things start getting worse. And Shauna also finds out at this point that she's pregnant, which is Mm. a bit of a precarious place to be in. Bad time. In the apocalypse. Right. Uh. Ozark has kept Matthew like chained up in his basement doing scripted podcast episodes, basically, which (laughs) promise is not happening here. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) At least not like explicitly scripted, you know. (laughs) And also you're not chained up. I hope that's important. (laughs) I was told not to say anything. Yeah, I'll never tell. I'll never tell. (laughs) This is my master plan. (laughs) And um, he actually tries to warn the flock that Ozark is going to do an attack on them via the podcast episodes, tries to kind of put a coded message in, but he gets caught for going off script and then they break his hand. Ooh. I mean, I've I've skimmed over some of the worst of like the things he endures in this section of the book just because it's not Mm. fun to chat about, but... Sweet, naive Matthew. Yeah, Matthew goes through some bad times. Right. More and more people are getting affected, like Arav is infected, several of the shepherds start to get infected, but also, like, the group is bonding more and more, like, Corley comes out to them, and Marcy confesses that she can hear the walkers sometimes. Shauna ends up telling Arav about the baby, and she and her father reconnect. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, I got a little bit emotional (laughs) at this point. It was genuinely, like, touching to read. So then we get to Ozark attack on the flock and of course it's like everyone's doing really great after this big heart to heart and Shauna's dad comes out of the RV for the first time in months to see Nessie and they're like bonding really well and then immediately we're into like gunfire and Shauna and Nessie's dad gets shot and killed oh and it's horrible right (laughs) this was one of the parts where I almost pieced out of the book a few of the walkers get shot like the sleepwalkers Um, so like even though their skin couldn't be pierced by syringes or anything they were clearly still able to be shot Before they can, you know, completely wipe out the group, Marcy steps up and goes guerrilla style and takes out the shooters. But she herself gets ambushed by Ozark and knocked out and taken back to his lair. When the walkers were shot, the nanotech came out of them because they were dead. Right. It then goes into some of the nearby people. Oh. So it goes into some of the shepherds, basically, who have been walking with them. Oh. And one of the people who it goes into is Shauna. So now she is a sleepwalker. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. We kind of leave it there for a while. We don't see what happens with that. We get some general world building about how the president gets assassinated and the militia just kind of takes over. The Supreme Court puts the other guy in charge. Right, right. Even though society is falling apart at mm. the moment. Mm. One of Ozark's allies tries to help Matthew get out of the dungeon where he's being kept. Mm-hmm. And the helper gets killed, but Matthew does manage to escape. 
so that's kind of nice. <laughs> that it's, I mean, it's a consolation yeah. prize, right, to everything else that you just yeah, described. But yeah, so he gets out and he manages to reunite with his wife Autumn, sure. who he thought was dead after the overdose, but she's not. She's fine. Um, so they oh. reunite and it's nice and sweet. Um, she was dead. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> he does too. Like Ozark straight up tells him, like, "Oh, your wife is dead," but clearly that was a lie. Benji communicates with Black Swan to find out where the flock is actually going. It's this place called Ure. It's like a small town in the Midwest, I think. We we finally reconnect with Shauna, who is in sort of a simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's where her mind is, at mm-hmm. least, while she's in sleepwalker in mode. walking, yeah. She reconnects with her sister in there. She sees and gets to meet all of the other walkers. And they're in, like, a simulated version of the town that they're going to. So they've oh. kind of picked out houses and, like, decided where they're gonna go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And her mother is also there because she was hooked up to a machine in like whatever lab it was that created this nanotech in which Black Swan came from. So she actually gets to talk to her mother again. Okay, that's lovely. It's very odd and people are just kind of going about their lives in this simulation. Like some of them are like dating each other even though they have never met in real life. So kind of like the real world. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, to what end though? Why? I guess they're figuring like when they wake up eventually they can... No, sure. That that I understand. Fair. (laughs) That I get. But but why this town? For some reason, Black Swan's algorithms decided that this was the place to go because it would be like safe or easily defensible or something like that. Okay. I think we're given a bit of an explanation, but it's just along the lines of like, oh, it'll be it's good. It'll it's be a, a good, good town place. for them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> also, Pete Corley's boyfriend comes to be with him, which is sweet. Oh. But we get this weird complication that almost as soon as the boyfriend arrives, they then leave because Pete Corley has like a wife and children, and they're gonna go and try and track down the wife and children to try and like make things right with them there's a lot of subplots happening in this book yeah holy shit i think that's why this book is like 800 pages long is because Mm. there's way too many subplots happening no kidding Uh, there's a lot in the first 200 holy crap you keep keep mentioning characters as if you had mentioned them previously like (laughs) oh yeah such and such got married oh who who was this right i'm trying to catch up yeah there's it's a lot oh and they take they take shauna's dad's rv meanwhile matthew and his wife autumn are spying on the militia um, Mm -hmm. who are sort of a combination of like Ozarks people and other similar militias Mm -hmm. who have all kind of united under the new president and they're trying to find their son because you remember their son was working for Ozark right back at the beginning and is now part of the militia. It's a very Hitler Youth-esque army Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. that Ozark is trying to like train up all these young boys and gradually more and more people are becoming infected like Benji and Sadie both find out that they both have the disease, the white mask, and people are dying. And the disease is so infectious that people are having to burn bodies. And as we already know, based on what Black Swan from the future has said, this is an apocalyptic event. Shauna in the simulation tries to speak to Black Swan, but doesn't really learn anything. She tries to ask, like, is my baby gonna be okay? Because remember, she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't know... Oh. Yeah. Not a vote of confidence. She's not pregnant in the simulation, but obviously her body is continuing to. The bodies don't really, like, they don't need food or anything while they're sleepwalking, but she's still gestating a baby. That's still happening somehow. Magic. Science. Yes. Nanotech. (laughs) Yeah. The magic of science. (laughs) Benji tries to go and find some medication to slow the disease, which he is successful in finding, but he is attacked by some militia guys and ends up leaving behind most of the medication and then never goes back 
back for it, which is one of those things where it's like, go back for the medicine, dude. Mm-hmm. I thought you were smart. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on. So Pete Corley, the, the rock star and his boyfriend, they know where the flock is headed, but Landry is infected, so he can't go to Pete's family with him. So he just gets like dropped on the side of the road to walk back to Ure. Oh my God. And he does eventually end up like reconnecting with the group. In the quest to get to his son, Matthew steals a truck to get into Ozark's camp. He succeeds and he actually runs into his son, but his son doesn't recognize him. And he sort of accidentally, as he's going about in disguise, ends up in the dungeons and meets up with Marcy, who's still alive and just has been kept for several months for some reason. Why not? Which, I mean, I'm not too unhappy about, because, like, she's definitely the best character, but that's <laughs> entirely beside the point. And Matthew overhears that Ozark knows that the flock is going to Oray and is going to attack them there. And Matthew has, like, a huge emotional breakdown, and Marcy comforts him. But he manages to get back out of Ozark's camp, and he reconnects with Autumn, and he decides that he's going to go try to warn the flock about the attack. Meanwhile, his wife stays to try and get their son. When when the flock gets to Oray, there's still people there? Like, there's still living non-infected people mm-hmm. there, which makes moving in a little Awkward. bit difficult. <laughs> right, because it's an actual town. This Ooh. house is mine now. Please leave. Yeah, and because they're they're kind of a, a rural town, like, there hasn't been a lot of infection there, at least mm. not as much. So there actually are still quite a few people there. But the, they're pretty chill about, for the most part, letting newcomers in. There's a sheriff, his name is Dove. He's not really important to the plot at all, but he's pretty chill. Sweet um, Dove. Yeah, he's, he's a nice boy. <laughs> and the other reason that they're chill is is because Landry, Pete Corley's boyfriend, got there first and was able to be like, hey, by the way, there's a <laughs> bunch of people that are going to show up here real soon. Let's be chill about it. <laughs> um, they're all asleep and are going to move into your houses. Yeah, they're just going to... and like Just they do, a heads up. They do literally, like, as soon as they get to the town, they just split up and, like, go into their houses <laughs> that they have oh, claimed God. in the simulation version. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Yeah. Matthew shows up and he uses Marcy's name to like get himself in so that they're not immediately like, hey, you're that that jerk who ran that podcast. Get out of here. (laughs) Ah, yes. But he does manage to warn them about Ozark. And Benji tries to get through to Black Swan and is like, can't you just make them get up and walk somewhere else to keep them safe? And Black Swan's like, no, that would take too much energy. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of accept this. Okay. (laughs) Which is... Not really an answer, but that's fine. So instead, they just kind of have to hunker in place and try to defend themselves from attackers. And meanwhile, so one of the things that the white mask does is that it destroys the brain function. So people essentially develop dementia in like the later stages. So Arav, Shauna's baby daddy? That's probably not an appropriate... (laughs) I mean, but it's accurate. He's starting to get into those, like, latter stages where he is losing his mind. Mm -hmm. And then the attack starts to happen. And somehow, despite having advanced warning, it doesn't matter that much because people still get shot. And, like, the sleepwalkers specifically get shot really early on. Okay. Like, we cut to Shauna in the simulation who's just kind of standing around watching people living their life. And then suddenly they disappear from the simulation. Oh, okay. Which means that they've been killed in real life Mm -hmm. but it's like how did you guys not lock this down a bit better like shouldn't this have been the number one concern right right 
she goes to talk to Black Swan because she realizes that something is horribly wrong and learns that there's an attack happening and wants to help. So Black Swan shows her the door to like the inner sanctum of itself. And through it, she manages to connect with and talk to Arav and they, they kind of reunite in a weird way. Meanwhile, the rest of the people are trying to defend the flock. Everyone's just kind of running around wildly because Matthew's still trying to find his son. There's no sign of his wife at all. Meanwhile, Ozark, who's like obviously sick by this point and is not doing great, he thinks that maybe Benji has a cure and he wants that. And he's got grenades and a tank, which is not great news. (laughs) And and Benji ends up trying to pretend like he has a cure. Smart boy. Yeah, bluff a little bit. Marcy was brought there for some reason. (laughs) But she's starting to get her strength back because she's near the flock again. She and Matthew kind of go about knocking some guys out. They do run into Matthew's son and manage to knock him out, but he tries to shoot his dad first. And then we cut back to Shauna and Arav having their meeting. And basically Arav, who's already dying quite significantly, he basically takes on a bunch of the nanotech that has been released by the people who have died and uses it kind of as a walking bomb. Like he walks up towards Ozark's men and then releases the nanotech so it goes into them and then explodes them because mm. it has that exploding power power that right. ability <laughs> so they just activate that right and he dies as well but he gets uploaded to the simulation for a short period of time while mm. the nanotech is in him so mm-hmm. he and Shauna do get to like say a proper goodbye mm. yeah it's nice sad but um, nice yeah Ozark somehow manages to avoid the nanotech and he makes a run for it. Right. And as he's running, Pete Corley, who is coming down the road in his RV, runs him over. Nice. (laughs) Poetic justice. Yeah, which is one of those parts that is like legitimately very good because you get to see Pete Corley, who's just going down the road in his RV and then just suddenly like runs some dude over (laughs) and he doesn't know what's happening. Like he doesn't know that this guy definitely deserved to be run over. Mm -hmm. And while he's sort of there like, oh my God, I hit someone. um, Matthew comes out and like shoots Ozark dead. And so Pete Corley's even more like, what's going what's on? Happening? Yeah, poor <laughs> um, Pete, poor yeah, Pete. Poor, poor Pete, Pete had a bad time. But like Matthew got his revenge, so that's kind of nice. That's and Ozark dies. Poetic, yeah. Indeed. But in the simulation, like Shauna does not re-emerge from Black Swan's inner sanctum. So they don't really know what happened to her. Like her body is still alive, but her mind no longer exists in the simulation. So Nessie kind of assumes that she's dead. Mm. There's sort of the aftermath of the attack. Benji is still mostly not sick even as weeks and weeks pass like he's infected with the virus he knows because there's like a test you can do mm-hmm. but he's not developing any symptoms and Sadie confesses that the rest of their team gave up all of their supply of like the medication that he had so that he could have all of it so they've been right. getting sicker and sicker and he's been okay it's like some sort of antifungal medication so it slows the growth there's a bit of a resolution to Matthew and his son because his son is the only survivor of Ozark's group neither of them know what happened to their wife slash mom he's still kind of like screw you dad so that's also not great 
okay. Well, can't have it all. Yeah, and Pete Corley, if you'll remember, was going to try and visit his family, like his wife and kids, and make things right. Uh, we never yeah. find out what happened with that. He says he was unable to find them, but it's mentioned that the other characters think he's lying about that. But we never find out, like, if he found them dead, or if they rejected him, or, like, what happened. We never get a resolution on that. And then we cut away to Shauna, who wakes up, like, years later, out of the, the sleep that she was in. And she's woken up months later than everyone else woke up. And she sees Benji, who has managed to survive the fungus. And he basically explains that because he was on this medication, the virus just kind of wore itself out. And he was able to survive it, which is cool. Would have been great if he'd maybe picked up more medicine. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Also, she finds out that her baby was born and is healthy, which must be a wild thing to wake up no to. No kidding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Isn't there a whole lot of, like, bodily changes that, like... Yeah, like, I, we don't get any more information about what m- that must have been like for everyone involved, but I imagine it could not have been a fun time. No, no, nope. that doesn't sound pleasant at all. We also get sort of a play-by-play of what happened, which is mostly a huge bummer in that, like, most of the characters got sick and died. Right. Um, oh, probably. We do learn that about 1% of the population are not immune because they're still carriers, but they don't ever get symptoms. So about 1% of the population of the world did survive, Mm. which includes Marcy and Matthew, which is kind of nice. Statistically unlikely. Yeah, which is statistically (laughs) unlikely. <laughs> that of the named characters, several of them did make it. Also, Dove, the mayor of Ure, um, sweet Dove, did make it. <laughs> Again, he has no importance on the plot whatsoever, but he did survive. Good to know. And we we learned that Pete Corley may or may not have survived. That he kind of took off after his boyfriend died to like tour the world, and we don't know what happened after that. So civilization is in tatters, but there's still people around, so it's not completely gone. Mm-hmm. And there's then this question that's hanging over the character of like, why did Black Swan tell them that it was an extinction event if 1% of the population was going to be immune or functionally immune? Hmm. Shauna and Nessie actually reunite like in the real world. She finds out that their mom died because the computers that like she was hooked up to shut down at some point. The Nano Swarm and Black Swan are still technically around and Shauna is still able to communicate with Black Swan because they were entwined for a while Mm -hmm. while she was in the inner sanctum. And she realizes that Black Swan actually started the white mask disease, the fungal disease, and was the one that caused this whole thing thing in the beginning interesting wow okay that's another big twist yeah. right at the end yeah. Hello. right at the end it was in order to prevent a global warming catastrophe and therefore handpicked certain people like via this nanotech to survive it wow <laughs> yeah and Wait. then just let that yeah. hang there for a moment <laughs> yeah Wait, five questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on to them for one second, because I have, like, two more sentences. Oh, good. Okay. So some people are worshipping Black Swan as a god, now that everyone's awake again, which is great. No red <laughs> flags there. Mm, rightly so. <laughs> I would. Wouldn't um, you? <laughs> yeah, and Black Swan also tells them that they're going to worship Shauna and her kid, which mm. is great news. And she realizes that if she tells them about all of the stuff that she's come to know, partially from being inside of Black Swan, they'll hate her and also her kid, so she can't. And Nessie, who's been like deeply influenced by Black Swan as well, it's kind of unclear if it's still fully Nessie and she's just completely bought into Black Swan or if Black Swan has taken over her in some way. She basically promises that, Sean, I like you'll come around to this eventually. And then the book ends! Right. You'd think that a book with 800 pages could have had a more satisfying ending. Yeah! 
Yeah. And I don't know, maybe Chuck Wendig is writing a sequel. I, that's what it's got to be. That's but, what it says to me, that there's definite sequel, yeah. sequel potential there. I did like a brief Google search. I didn't do a deep dive. I didn't see anything about mm. it. But like, how do you not? That's not an ending, Chuck. I mean, it, <laughs> are we calling out Chuck Wendig? Is maybe. that what we're about to do here? I think that's what's maybe. happened. I think that's what we have done. Yeah. Whether we like it or not. Let's see if that makes it into the final cut. Chuck. <laughs> You got to be courageous with the podcast. Got to be courageous. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so this is the time to take risks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like eight hundred pages. Like this is already three books. He doesn't need to write I know. another one. I know, but also, oh, how do you Chuck. end a novel like that? <sighs> Maybe he just stopped. Maybe, Maybe. he reached page 800 and was like, hey, I'm good. I don't <laughs> have any more. Honest, honestly, though, I think you might be right. Because yeah. to end it so abruptly. Yeah, yeah. But you had questions. I mean, I have many questions. The one that occurred to me at the end was, so Black Swan predicts an extinction level event. Yes. Is global warming the extinction level event that mm. it predicts? And it's trying to stop or climate change, I guess. But. I guess, yeah. I'm not sure to what extent it was trying to, if it was telling the truth about there was an extinction level event and it was preventing okay. the climate change apocalypse so that's why it started this or if it was just straight up lying about the disease mm-hmm. and all of that yeah. to begin with well that's just it right if it seems at the very least yeah. that it was a little bit uh misleading yeah. with the information that it shared yeah. to our protagonists yeah. and that makes me question the ethical standing of this ai slash god yeah uh, i mean definitely it kind of reveals itself at the end there to have been the antagonist the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, are we just an experiment to this thing? Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Successful one. Uh, In any case. You know, we survived. Is it, though? We survived a little bit. uh, (laughs) Some of us. That's fair. It was interesting, too, because the whole time I was like, well, if Black Swan can communicate with itself in the past, why didn't it just do something to stop this disease from ever coming <laughs> right? into play? Yeah. Well, that's the problem with any time travel yeah. Yeah. sci-fi that and you so can look at. I, was, I spent the whole novel being like, oh, like the time travel in this doesn't work at all. But then at the end it was like, oh, okay, I was being deliberately misled about what that was involved. Was time travel even a factor? Or did Black Swan just decide in the current time of like, oh, mm. we're heading towards global warming? So I'm going to wipe all these humans Very out. good point. Maybe. Have you read any of The Stand by Stephen King? I, I have not. Okay. But I know this gets compared to The Stand. Yeah, because that was going to be, like, I haven't read the book. So that was going to be my question of, like, if mm. either of you have any Stand comparisons. comparisons. I, I wish. But that's a problem with Stephen King's books, is that nobody yeah. edits him anymore mm. and hasn't since... Like the mid '80s, at least. You, yeah. yeah. So, so what you're what you're saying is this is a book where Ed, nothing was taken out. Everything, every idea, good or bad, was yeah. just thrown in there, and that's yeah. why this book is 800 pages of yeah. of of geez. content. Right. <laughs> content. That's exactly the word I was yes. looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, like, yeah. or oh, sorry, Aaron, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and like, I don't, I don't disagree that like there's so many characters in this book, and there's so many subplots that don't actually go anywhere at the end of it yeah yeah like like, like my i mean what i've read in the past the closest thing that i could compare this to was michael Crichton. like as i, as I was oh. first getting in i was like oh this feels like uh andromeda strain or jurassic mm. park because it's it's kind of sciencey but not total science yeah um, mm-hmm. and but then all of a sudden it started to veer in all these different directions and i'm like if it were michael Crichton, this book would have been a fraction of the size yeah. and probably a lot stronger yeah 
Um, sorry, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I've liked a lot of Chuck Wendig's other stuff. Like, I liked his Star Wars trilogy. I liked. Oh, yeah. I've read some of the Blackbird series, and I've liked that. And I did like parts of this book. Like I said, parts of it I did find very emotionally compelling. Yeah. It's just so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and dense. And dense, and very unhappy for so many parts <laughs> of it. Like there were. <laughs> it's like it's kind of rare that I'm distressed by a book, and I was mm-hmm. distressed by this book. I was gonna say, when did you read it? Like during was, what, what period? I think it was early January that I okay. read it, or mid January maybe. It was it was definitely before. It was pre COVID nineteen comes to North America. It was pre COVID nineteen comes right. to North America for okay. sure. Because I think that's that's essential if we're gonna think about this book, if we're mm-hmm. gonna analyze this book, we cannot ignore the moment in history mm. that we are in. The reason why this book is so topical and so scary and so yeah. I don't know. I liked it for for what it's <laughs> yeah. worth. I really enjoyed it. Given the context, yeah. I'm not surprised that you felt a little bit of anxiety here and there. Yeah, and I was. I think some of the violence was very excessive. There's a lot of gun violence. There's a lot of sexual violence that I skimmed over mm. in my summary, just because like want to keep podcast a bit light. Right. That I felt like didn't really add anything necessarily, but just made me feel unhappy when I was reading mm-hmm. it <laughs> in a way that wasn't just oh like bad things are happening to the characters. It, it felt kind of unnecessary and sort of just trying to have a shock Mm -hmm. value part to it, which I never love. Yeah, I find that's tough with this kind of novel, but it is very, like, scientific discovery. We have a mystery to solve Mm -hmm. sort of plot. I think the temptation is there to add in those moments of, I'll call it action, even though it's often just violence. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of break up the investigation, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that felt like it was trying to be this thing that was dark and gritty, which is fine. Although it was also trying to be very hopeful. And I know that was on the reviews that I saw of it a lot, that it was like a very hopeful look at things. And like it is in, in some regards, like look about people coming together and people trying to help each other. Like there is quite a bit of that in the novel. Right. Most of it not plot related, but even yeah. just little <laughs> bits of the social media interspersions that you get. Like there was one that I found genuinely touching that was a post from Tumblr of somebody saying like I'm gonna keep the the fan fiction archives running as long as I can that was just like a very deeply human moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Personal. <laughs> what ends up happening to like internet and social media like obviously it falls apart at some point I'm guessing right yeah I don't know that we get a super in-depth look at what happens to it I think it's like most things it just kind of stops running once there are no longer people there to run it and the idea that like maybe it will return someday Mm. yeah if we want it to Mm. yeah yeah this vague hopefulness yeah and that's I guess the idea of getting to like rebuild society in a weird way Mm -hmm. and been talking about some of the like issues that you had with the book and I mean that I had with the book too I'm wondering like what was it that actually made you stop reading so curious uh, honestly I think it was probably around page 200 225 and there had already been so much story and I was like I'm looking at this book and I'm like how the hell is this book going to continue for another 600 pages yeah it's so dense with trying to explore this infection and trying to solve this and to me it was reading very much like a Michael Crichton book but with a much slower pace mm-hmm. and so I, was, I just got bored yeah and I find and I think this is my own interest these days as a reader and this was way before COVID and stuff mm-hmm. going on right now but I find I'm less interested mm-hmm interested in characters 
where their lives are full of angst and their lives are horrible. You know, full sympathy towards uh, Shauna and her sister and, mm-hmm. you know, her idiot dad. But, like, <laughs> I don't, like, I, I want to I see, you know, something that doesn't start out quite so dim, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, the note it ended on, too. Like, I think it could have turned around for me in a big way if it had ended more hopefully. But because you yeah. get that big drop at the end of actually Black Swan did all this and, like, killed all these people and everything is yeah. kind of terrible. Now. We've survived the apocalypse, but now people are worshipping Black Swan and Shauna is in this very weird situation. Um, yeah, sounds and she, like... she has a kid now, but the kid's maybe being worshipped. Like, that was just such a weird note to end things on that I found yeah. it hard to, like, connect with the story looking back to it. Because, mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the whole story matters, but I think it does matter what note you end <laughs> things on. Absolutely. And, and, like, based on a, everything you described, like, for the rest of the book, I'm surprised that people are calling it hopeful. Like, yeah. like I, w- I wouldn't call this, especially in this age where we're seeing, like, hope punk and solar punk becoming more of a thing, I wouldn't call yeah. this hope punk. No. Based on what you told me. Like, this Neither sounds like just straight up post-apocalyptic, maybe even bordering on, like, dystopian, if, if it's mm-hmm. supposed to carry on into yeah. more of the story. Yeah, well, and if you compare it to other things that are considered to be hope punk, like, I'm thinking specifically of, like, the Broken Earth trilogy, yeah. which, as listeners may or may not be familiar with um, N.K. Jemisin's big, important trilogy, it's also a, an apocalyptic story, but that, I think, is hope punk in a bigger way. Like, it's more about community, it's more about trying to rebuild post-apocalypse and has a lot more depth around like reconnecting and like repairing things afterwards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no th- this this is squarely post-apocalyptic for me yeah. i mean consider there one percent of humanity has survived a massive viral infection mm-hmm. governments and the internet have completely collapsed and a fraction of humanity is worshiping an artificial intelligence right that's pretty cut and dry yeah. for yeah, me exactly. that's that's yeah, not a I, hopeful yeah. finish yeah, and it, as soon as I was finished, I was like, wait a second, were the bad guys kind of right? Because, like, all throughout the book, ah. like, Ozark, they're very much on, like, the walkers are bad, something bad is happening here, and you're meant to sympathize with the walkers, sympathize with Shauna, and not that I think that's wrong, necessarily, mm-hmm. but then at the end, I was like, wait a second, but were they right? Because I do not now want to be agreeing with... <laughs> this group of white supremacist militia, (laughs) but also it was kind of bad. Indeed. Probably that sort of story too, where in the end, you can't pick anybody's side. Like I want to be able to pick somebody's side and root for them, know that I've at least picked somebody who, even if not everybody's going to agree with them, at least I can. Yeah, and like, not that the characters were necessarily at fault, like the Walkers and Shauna weren't necessarily at fault for what they were doing, but it still just had this weird taste lingering at the end of it, in Mm -hmm. terms of like, wait, what have I read? What, Mm -hmm. who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, were they right all along? Because I'm deeply uncomfortable with that implication. (laughs) Seems like they kind of were. I mean, it which is interesting. Yeah, which like it wasn't satanic, and that's the thing of like I know Chuck Wendig's politics are like very left wing, mm-hmm. so I don't yeah. think he meant for you to end the book and be like, wait a second, were the white supremacists right? But <laughs> I'd be very surprised. I, I too would be team. very surprised. <laughs> but like I said, I don't think that was his intention at all. But it is kind of like, wait, why is that what I'm coming away from? Of mm. like wondering, not if they were right, because obviously they did a lot of bad things, but should they have been taking more action? to actually stop that have i been rooting for the wrong thing this whole time Mm-hmm. Right. Which I don't love coming out of no. a, a story. <laughs> well, just going off of that about the the reversal of the perspectives for the the antagonist and the protagonist, I was trying to nail down 
what the arc, what the story was here. And it's very hard to nail down what the the specific story trope is in this novel mm-hmm. because there's so many of them, you know? Yeah. Is this yeah. the protagonist turns uh, they're, they're maybe not the most ethical and the antagonist is the good guy all along? Is it one of those? Yeah. It's hard to nail yeah. it down. Yeah, and there's, there's too many characters to really nail down. Like, none of them do, like, a lot of growing mm. either through the story. Like, most of them, I mean, Matthew goes through a significant amount of <laughs> trauma <laughs> and then growth. Oh, but, poor Matthew. But, like, for the most part, uh, most of them don't change significantly and they're just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that was sort of my struggle in summarizing it of trying to piece together all these things that kind of happen and like characters that I liked. Like I like Marcy and I like Pete Corley really well. I think they're interesting characters, but also they're just kind of there for a lot of yeah. the plot. And also like lots of the stories don't get resolved, which I was super frustrated about. Like we never yeah, yeah, get yeah. resolution on Pete Corley's family. We actually get like really early in the book, close to when he's introduced, he has a phone call with his wife where she's like kind of an interesting person like obviously their relationship isn't ideal but she gets a name and they have kind of a funny conversation but then we never hear anything about her again and I'm like but I kind of care about what happened to her and I care about what the end of his journey was because that was his whole arc but we never get a resolution Mm -hmm. to that Mm -hmm. and like Matthew's wife just kind of disappears and his son I think dies off screen of the illness and it's like all right I'm glad I invested time and energy into caring about this plot line. And you know, on that note, Aaron, I actually have a question for you. And a question for you both, actually. You're both (laughs) writers. This is perfect. You've told me before, Aaron, authors don't include things in their stories unless it serves a purpose. You Mm -hmm. know, they don't include something, a detail in a story unless it it does something. Do you think that was the case here? Or do you think the editors were a little too shy, (laughs) a little too dainty? I think that really, really strong writing, like if you mention something, it's because it'll come up later. Mm. Like you don't include anything unless it's relevant. In most cases, every once in a yeah. while you're going to throw in a detail just because it's fun and or it's something kind of wacky and interesting about the world. But I, I of course, mm-hmm. like the way I write and the way I teach my students is don't put anything in unless it's necessary. Yeah. So reading something like this, I think like anything that doesn't get resolved by the end, anything yeah. that doesn't end end up staying relevant or even just being relevant for a part of it, to me is an issue. And, and, yeah. and is, is kind of weak because because to me, that's one of the things you learn very early as a writer is I'm not just going to throw random. Not everything needs to be resolved, but yeah. the main four points of the story should be resolved by the end. Yeah. And like, I, I think maybe there's an argument to be made on the other side that in the real world, not everything gets a resolution. Mm, but fair. at the same time, like I'm reading a story. I'm not yeah. like I live in the real world. <laughs> I know that. But. When I'm reading a story, I kind of expect it to to resolve things, at least to some degree. Like, it's okay if not everything does get a resolution, but I at least want there to be something there. A mm-hmm. little bit yeah. more than what I was getting from some of the plots in this. Right. And, yeah. like, specifically with regard to... Like, it's a pretty basic law of, like, setup and payoff, right? Like, if you set yes. something up, you should pay it off. And there were things that were not paid off, but were set up quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. Which is the frustrating piece, which is like, oh, if you didn't spend a lot of time on the setup, then that's fine, I guess, but you did, and then you didn't resolve it. (laughs) 
I think that's part of the reason why I started to get turned off by the novel very early. I think it was right around the time that we were introduced to Matthew, because mm-hmm. the setup that I got at the beginning of the novel was that, you know, this is a story that's going to focus on Shauna and Benji. It's going to be very, like, investigative science focused. There's some sort of plague-like illness going on. That's going to be our focus. And then all of a sudden, I'm, we're spending all this time with Matthew, yeah. and the story totally veers into something else. I'm like, okay, what novel am I reading now? And yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's a broken promise to the reader, I think, which is a huge issue as a writer. Like, yeah. Unless you get to a point in your career <laughs> where you can get away with breaking promises to your readers. <laughs> yeah, even then, I think you have to be kind of careful with that. If you're going to break a promise to a reader, you should have a purpose behind it. And I don't know that there was a purpose to breaking that promise. I don't necessarily think that Matthew's story is like a bad one, but if you set the story up in a certain way that readers are not expecting that, I don't know that his story makes up for that broken promise or like that it says anything about reader expectations or anything like that. Well, again, that that perfectly segues into my next question, which was, do you think that the writing suffered because of those broken promises, because of those loose threads not tied up? I mean, I think it definitely does to a certain extent. Like I said, I felt very unsatisfied by the end of the novel. Like, I ended things just being like, wait, what? That was... Mm-hmm. That's it? Like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. And immediately I was like, is there... Does he have a sequel planned? Mm-hmm. Like, what's... What do you mean that we're just not going to get answers on this kind of thing? And again, like, not giving answers can be used well in stories. It's just that in this case, I was frustrated Mm. by it. Mm. You said like a broken promise to the reader. Well, that's why I assumed that there was going to be a sequel after you finished because there's so many loose ends. What do you think, Brandon? Having not finished the novel, I don't know how my like, it sounds like the the broken promises hurt the novel. I think if I had made it to the end, I would have been very unsatisfied. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if a writer breaks promises for me, and, and to me as a reader breaks too many of them, I'm then less inclined to check out the next thing. Like, I've been mm-hmm. a fan of some of Chuck Wendig's other work. If the next book that comes out is a sequel to this or is something as long, unless we're doing another podcast, I'm probably not going to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, just, I think that's the risk about Broken Promises. I think you, mm-hmm. you alienate readers, and, and yeah. I, I think that would have alienated me even further. I was trying to think of a good example of, like, a Broken Promise, and then I looked across to my bookshelf, and I see Jade City sitting over there, and that, I feel like, was a bit of a Broken Promise, and we haven't talked about Jade City we yet, haven't so even no got- that's what i'm saying that's That's, on the list it's on the list i think we're gonna do it soon but that i think is a good example of a broken promise to a reader any elaboration any any elaboration on that i don't know and not not like a huge broken promise but just in that they set something up that you think is going to be a big deal and then it's a a subversion of your expectations of Mm. where the story is going to go for which character the oldest brother oh yeah yeah okay I, i don't know what your experience of reading the book was but my expectation and then where they took that character was yeah. different than what I was expecting. Mm. And yeah, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, because they set him up in a very particular way. Yes. And then... Or, they? Fondly. Yeah, Fondly. <laughs> she has a name. Yeah. yeah, Fonda sets it up in a very... Yeah, that's a good point. I can see that. And like I said, maybe I just landed on that because it is sitting right at eye level on my shelf. But like that, I think, is a good example because they do it to subversion and it works and it throws what you were expecting out the window. But it's okay because that gives the story an opportunity to expand in a new way. Yeah. You know what's one that I... I'm looking at my bookshelf now. I'm, I, <laughs> and I don't know if this would count as a broken promise or not. Let me know what you think. So I, I've been reading The Black Iron Legacy by Gareth Hanrahan. I don't 
don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name properly, but so it starts off with this novel, The Gutter Prayer. The Shadow Saint came out like within the last couple of months, I think. You know, it's second world fantasy. The Gutter Prayer focuses on three main protagonists with a bunch of side characters throughout mm-hmm. this novel. And you get a very clear arc for the three of them by the end of that first novel. Mm-hmm. You go into the second book. And to me, when, you know, when I'm reading a, uh, a series like this, I expect the main protagonists to carry over they mm-hmm. don't yeah all the setting is still the same but the focus is for the most part with a couple of exceptions on other main protagonists and and mm. your your key protagonists from the first one are much more secondary characters yeah that don't show up, which to me is not quite a broken promise but but you're you're all of a sudden you're changing things on the reader mm-hmm. and i was totally fine with it if anything i enjoyed the second book even more oh interesting yeah it depends i guess on on how that delivery happens yeah, and if it execution. was yeah and if it was done for a purpose that feels legitimate <laughs> yeah which in this case it did but based yeah. on the based on the reactions that we got earlier it sounds like the delivery in wanderers was not based on legitimate reasons yeah i don't know like because i think i think having some realism is maybe a legitimate reason i don't know if it's just that the delivery wasn't there for right. me but... i wonder if because you mentioned broken earth trilogy before and i think like i love broken earth trilogy i think it's one of the, my favorite series that i've read in a long time and i think one of the benefits of trilogy like that is because it's set in another world you can kind of mix things up and, and yeah. do things I, I think setting it in our world because our world is is pretty screwed up these days i think it, it would be tough to present a story like wanderers set in what is essentially the present day mm-hmm. and not explore some of that darkness i don't i yeah. you couldn't present, present it totally rosy you had you would have to oh, at yeah. least go somewhere in the middle yeah. uh, but i think i just chose to go a little bit further into the darkness which is legit i think mm-hmm. based on see around us very good point. yeah yeah there's there's definitely a distinction to be made between like where i did not enjoy aspects of the story and whether or not they were objectively poor storytelling choices which is you know another question entirely yeah totally yeah i don't know if i have the balls to question all of chuck wendig's choices (laughs) chuck wendig is a much more successful writer than either of us so i'm like he must be doing something right i would imagine like given everything that was on the back cover of this book with all these accolades like clearly he did something right in there maybe i'm the problem (laughs) i will say this i really wanted to enjoy it i tried really really hard like because it fits kind of the main plot at least to start fits a lot of what I loved when I was first getting into science fiction, like mm-hmm. Michael Crichton, and who I mentioned before, and I really wish I could have kept going with this. I just got worn out yeah. and beaten up, and I feel bad about it, but yeah. and that's kind of where I, I do have one question of, like, having read you know, half of the book, how do you feel, or maybe not quite that much, but Don't be generous. <laughs> <laughs> a third? Uh, 274. I don't even... I thought uh, it was the third. We I won't do the math on that. It's fine. <laughs> um, but how do you feel about how things progressed? Like, does it feel like it went wildly off the rails based on oh, what odds, I've been yeah. telling? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it's like you were describing three totally different novels. Yeah, yeah. Like... That's kind of what it feels like to read, too. Yeah, I never would have predicted that it went in that direction. Because you mentioned nanites, and I hadn't gotten to the point where it turns out to no. be nanites. And I'm like, okay, nanites are, are cool. What's causing the nanites? Wait, wait, but there's another disease? Yeah. But wait, there's white supremacists? But, <laughs> but wait, it was it Marcy? Yeah, Marcy, right? Yeah. Marcy can see... Did we ever get figure out why she can see stuff? Yeah, it's explained that there's some sort of frequency coming off the nanobots that somehow resonate with, like, the... She's got like a plate plate yeah plate in her head oh, okay. um, and they somehow resonate with the plate in her head that make it so that her symptoms of like brain injury are a lot better oh mm. i don't know if the science on that checks out probably not but that's sort of the explanation that's given <laughs> okay 
I can dig it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just point out, because I would be upset if I didn't point out, that this book is a perfect example of, of why this podcast exists. It is a book that is egregiously long, that <laughs> our, our main host struggled to get through, that our guest, who is himself a writer, could not get through, that we have painstakingly summarized and analyzed here for you today. <laughs> Right? That, that, that's what this show is all about. Yeah. Especially yeah. given that it's topical and that there's a sequel yes. coming soon. Well, <laughs> maybe. No? Was no. that not confirmed? No, no. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> there's no confirmation of a sequel. <laughs> I mean. Uh, but, I mean. Do you so. believe? <laughs> Imagine if the sequel ends is like 300 pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> or it's like a novella. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, well, I think that about wraps up our discussion. So if uh, this talk of apocalypses and disease and pandemics has got you down, <laughs> next week we will be picking up with a not at all lighter book, The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. Right, I've been waiting for this one for so long for reasons that I will go into in the next episode, so stay tuned. But um, dark in completely different ways, I think I can say with some degree of confidence. Brandon is just shaking his head at me. <laughs> it's not lighter at all. It's Aaron. not lighter at all. I know. I'm sorry. After after that, I promise we will. Do you? Do you promise? Yeah, I, I, Be I, careful. I'm not sure if that's no, a promise. No, breaking promises <laughs> to the readers. Bingo. <laughs> nice. Loop nice. in the back. There you go. Anyway, thanks again so much, Brandon, for joining us. I don't know if you want to plug your own stuff, but... Please do. <laughs> go ahead. Sure. No, I think this is a blast. I was happy to come on and, and chat. Um, depending on when this drops, uh, we may have just released on the podcast that I do with um, Evan May, Broadcasts from the Wasteland at BFTW Podcast on Twitter. We're releasing um, a virtual uh, reading event in light of the fact that literary events have kind of been postponed indefinitely. We put together a bunch of recordings of authors reading their work to kind of mimic a, a reading night. So we're calling that the uh, No One's Alone reading series. So that mm -hmm. should be out or about to come out uh, by the time this airs. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's obviously broadcasts from the Wasteland itself, um, season one with season two coming soon, if you like podcasts. Yeah, it's a really cool podcast. And I'm actually guest starring on a couple of episodes of season two. So if you like listening to me and Brandon talk, <laughs> maybe you should check that out. <laughs> Which you should. I yeah. don't understand why you wouldn't. It's, and it's, it's a good podcast. It's a lot of talking about books and writing and sort of rambling with other writerly people. So that's always really fun. Perfect for our audience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think our, our working tagline is um, eavesdropping on writers in the hotel bar. So that's, <laughs> that's love it. You know what? That's not a bad description of what the episodes are like. It's basically what it is. We have yeah. no script. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been a guest. We talked for three yeah. hours about Batman. We did. It was so much fun. It was. It was great. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway, in the, in the meantime, if uh, you want to reach us, I'm Aaron Rockford at Pineapple Fury on Twitter. And I'm Matthew Thomas, and you cannot reach me. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Thanks, folks. Podcast Golden <laughs> Age!